Would you pray with me? We gather as a body of believers who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been restored. We have been renewed and are being renewed in the midst of whatever circumstance we might face even today. Our hearts are with those who have evacuated. Our hearts are with uh, those that are gathered together, hunkered down in homes, in shelters, hearing the storms and the howling of the wind and the rain beating down upon their property. We pray for those that are even here today that have driven from Florida or Louisiana or Houston, anywhere in Texas, our hearts are with those that are hurting and uncertain. May today be a reminder across our nation that our only hope rests in you. May we be reminded that you are our hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Dawson. I am so glad to be here this morning. My name is David Eldridge, and I have the great joy of serving as your pastor starting today. So I'm excited to be here. If you're visiting, I'm sort of visiting this morning also. So I am thankful to say hello to you. I want to just start by saying thank you, church, for blessing not only myself, my wife, and our boys. We have received the hospitality of this congregation already, and we've been blessed by it. So we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the calls. Thank you for the cards. Thank you for the Facebook messages, the emails. Thank you for reminding us that you are praying for us. Thank you for the delicious meals that you have blessed us with. We have some college students here. You go to Sanford, you go to UAB, you go to Birmingham Southern, you go to Alabama, you go to Auburn. There's the freshman 15. You come to Dawson, there's a first month 15 that occurs. So we're feeling that. Thank you that one of the questions that many of you often ask are, how can we pray for the boys? How are the boys adjusting? We have a sixth grader. We have a fourth grader. We have a son in kindergarten. I preached in view of a call. We went back home, uh, resigned that evening. Danielle, the next morning, loaded them up, came back here. I enrolled them in schools here in Homewood. They started on Wednesday. And so there's been a little bit of transition that's occurred in their life, and you have prayed for them, you're cognizant of them. That, that makes me as a father, my wife as a mother, we, we are thrilled and comforted by uh, your prayers and your concern and the way that you're just welcoming us. It, it's interesting when you realize how your children process transition, and our transition is minor compared to a transition that many of you have faced, or maybe even some of you are facing now. But it hit me, I guess, two weeks ago when our final Sunday was at First Baptist Clinton. Danielle and the boys have been living here during the week, coming back home as they've been going to school, and they're pretty vested, and they're connected. And so two weeks ago, my final Sunday, my five-year-old came up to me after school and he, I mean, after Sunday school, and he said, dad, I just heard we're moving. <laughs> and I, I said, someone, you know, you know, we've been living in Alabama. You, you've been there for these last three or four weeks. And he just looked at me with this just dumbfounded look. 
Like, what? I thought that was a vacation. People are bringing us meals. They're buying us these shirts. I thought this was just like going to Disney World here. And so uh, thank you for praying for us. Thank you for loving us. And we are so thankful, honored, and humbled to be here in uh, Dawson. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We'll look at the first eight verses this morning. The first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. We want to hear from the Lord over the, uh, this semester leading into Advent. We'll be in a series in the book of Colossians entitled Christ the Center. We want to be reminded this morning that Jesus is our hope. We want to think in the next two weeks that Jesus is the center of our salvation and the center of our security. The first two verses are going to set somewhat of a foundation for us that we will build on, we'll expand upon, we'll nuance in the coming days ahead. But we'll start this morning setting a foundation of background and context of the church that Paul is writing to here that we know is Colossae. Verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We'll pick our Bibles up in a second and come back to it, but I do think it's helpful for us to have a little bit of background, a little bit of context to what's occurring in this passage. Over the past few weeks, we've met many of you. There's a similar refrain that we hear Uh, There's differences to it, there's no doubt. There's individuality to your stories. But we've heard a lot of you say, I'm from a small town outside of Florence, Alabama, for example, or I'm from a small town outside of Montgomery, and then I came to UAB, I went to Auburn, I went to Alabama, I went to Sanford, I went to the University of Mobile, I met my wife, I met my husband, I didn't meet anyone there, but I got a job, and then I came came to Birmingham, then I came to Vestavia, then I came to Homewood, then I came to Hoover. Many of you, not all of you, but many of you have those small town connections. When you think about home, you're thinking not necessarily of Homewood, not necessarily of Birmingham, but you think of home as that small town. Half of you that I've met are from Mississippi. I'm going to tell you that. Everybody I meet that says, I'm from this small town in Mississippi, and I think to myself, I know exactly where that is. So I feel really at home with all those Mississippians that are here in Dawson. But you know that story. And many of you go home for Thanksgiving. Many of you go home for Christmas. Grandparents still live there. Mom and dad still live there. Maybe there's a home place that you have. And there's a lot of continuity. There's a lot that hasn't changed. But then there's a lot that has changed. There are a lot of small towns, not only in Mississippi, not only in Alabama. But there are a lot of small towns that the the best days are sometimes in the rearview mirror. And not in the windshield before them. And the residents of a lot of small towns are wondering, where is hope? Where is hope when the factory closes? Where is hope when young families don't raise their children in the community and the intellectual capital of the community gets exported? Many people wonder when their educational challenges, when their economic challenges, where is hope in the midst of this community? And in many ways, 2,000 years ago, The Apostle Paul is writing to a community that was grieving that their best days were centuries 
behind them. Not decades, but centuries. Paul's writing to a church. The church is Colossae. Colossae is in modern-day Turkey now. It's a community that had its, its epic height of achievement in about the 5th century B.C., they had a wool industry that made it really a thriving metropolis. But by the time that Paul is writing to them in this Greco-Roman day, as Paul is writing most likely from a Roman imprisonment, the town of Colossae had seen its best days and they were far behind them. Laodicea, which was just 10 miles northwest of Colossae, had, had really uh, come beyond and had had really become the thriving city of the day. And so the best days for Colossae were in the past. Strangely enough, after Paul writes this uh, letter, which was probably somewhere before 61, 62 AD, in 62 AD, this community was right on a fault line. And an earthquake occurred that literally wiped this community out of the records of history. After 62 AD, there is no record of this community in Christian literature. There's no record of this community in pagan literature. You never hear about it again because it was a small town that was wiped out literally by a natural disaster. And so here we have had Harvey have all of its ravages. And here we have Irma making its way up the northwest coast of Florida. And we're thinking about the power of Mother Nature. And then this church that Paul is writing to is a church that would face that very soon after he wrote this letter. It's a church that's interestingly enough, a church that we don't have a firsthand account of how it came into being. We can piece it together And we will piece together a little bit of this in the book of Colossians. But think about Philippi for a second. In Acts chapter 16, you have this clear call of the start and foundation of the church. You have Lydia, the purple seller. You have Paul and Silas praising God at midnight in prison. And God delivers them out of that prison. And there's that prison guard that says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas point that prison guard to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the servant girl who is possessed by a demon that Paul exercised, uh, exercised out of that young lady. So we have a real powerful start to the church at Philippi, but not Colossae. Paul never even made his way to Colossae. There was Epaphras, who we'll meet in verse 7 and verse 8 of Colossians chapter 1, a faithful representative of Paul who makes his way and preaches the gospel there. There are a few of the names that we're going to come to in Colossians chapter 4 that you know, but the notable foundation, the notable story that we find in the other starts of churches you you don't find in the book of Colossians. J.B. Lightfoot, who was a New Testament professor years ago, said that the book of Colossians was uh, Paul's letter to the smallest church and to the most insignificant community. Now, we know there are no small churches. There are churches of different sizes, but churches all have a power, and they have a potency, and they have a mission, and they have a passion to give. And so the book of Colossians, it might have been a book to a community that is small, but the relevance and the richness for your life and for my life, they continue to to breathe, and they continue to sing to us even this morning. As you're looking at this passage of scripture that I just read, with that background, we read this hope-filled prayer that begins 
in verse 3 of chapter 1. Read it with me. Paul prays for the residents, the congregants, the community there at Colossae, and he prays this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved faithful servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul, in this opening prayer that we're going to continue to look at in the coming weeks here, he lays forth for those Colossian Christians this clear declaration that hope is stored up for them in heaven. How do they possess that hope? How do they cling to that hope? Where is that hope to be found? Well, you see it in these opening verses, don't you? You see where hope is located, isn't it? Don't you see that? You, you see that hope isn't located in your circumstances, that hope isn't located in the security of your bank account or your Roth IRAs, that, that hope isn't laid before you in the square footage or the security system that you might have. Hope is not laid forth in earthly gifts, but rather in the eternal giver of those gifts, and that is Jesus Christ. Look with me. In your copy of God's Word, as we see where the hope resides for all of our tomorrows. In verse 2, we read to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Verse 3, look there again with me. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith. Where? In Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. We're not there yet, but just look down in your copy of God's Word at verse 28. Notice the refrain. Notice the repetition. Notice where Paul is locating hope in these opening chapters or this opening chapter. Him, Jesus Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Galatians, eight times in Christ. Ephesians, 34 times in Christ. Colossians, 18 times. We hear this refrain. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Where is hope found in the midst of whatever circumstances you might face in your tomorrows? It's in Christ. Where is hope found when we're holding the hand of a loved one and we're listening for the rattling of breath and we're hoping with all our might that God would spare them and keep them here? Our hope is found only in Jesus Christ. Where is hope when the winds of a natural disaster bear down upon us? It is in Christ. Where is hope? When the company is bought out and there begins to be the consolidation and your security of your job becomes insecurity, that hope is only found in the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. You see, this phrase, in Christ, is a shorthand that Paul uses in his epistles to point us to the assurance that we have that all that Christ has won on the cross, all that Christ has won through his resurrection, 
victory over sin, communion with the Father, access to heaven eternally, all that he has won for you in your justification, all that he is winning for you and bringing you through in your sanctification, and all that is held up for you in your glorification in heaven is yours in Christ, not in your circumstances, not in your surrounding, not in your acumen, not in your achievement, but only securely found in Christ. Years ago, one of our church members had a daughter who was the personal assistant for Justin Timberlake. It was really interesting. This church member of ours was in her mid-70s, and she got to go to all of Justin Timberlake's (laughs) concerts. And she would come back home to our church, and she would say, well, this week I was with Justin and Beyonce and she would say this week I was in Dallas and she would go back stage and all the catering of Justin Timberlake's was her catering and she had a purse and she would load up her purse (laughs) with all of the leftovers of the catering in the backstage of a Justin Timberlake concert. She would give Justin Timberlake all of this advice about not forgetting his roots and keeping his eyes on his faith. All of these things that Justin Timberlake needed to hear was told by a woman who really had no business being back there, but she was connected because she was the mother of the personal assistant. And so where Justin went, she got to go. What Justin said, she got to hear because she had access through a relationship to one that granted her proximity to one that in real life she did not have any business being around. There is a far greater access to a far greater being that you have, not through your connections on earth, but through your faith in Jesus Christ, through your trust in the finished work of the gospel. There are places that you will go as your destiny and destination that is heaven bound that you have no business going because of your unrighteousness and sinful past, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there is a ticket, there is an access that you have to the holy grandeur of our heavenly Father. That is yours in Christ. All of the forgiveness is yours in Christ. All of the heavenly bounty that you will have at the marriage supper of the Lamb that you will not need to take leftovers home with in your purse. You have it for an eternity. Why? Because of what He has done and what you have access to in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. No matter what our tomorrows are. But you know, it's tempting to talk about the great by and by when we all get to heaven and sing Beulah Land that we forget that in Christ we have hope for our today. That in Christ we have hope for our today whatever our today might be. You see this is what Paul is reminding these Colossian Christians of. He's reminding them of the truth that they knew in their head, they need to be reminded of in their heart, that their hope is laid up for them in heaven in that day, in that moment. Do you recognize that, that in Christ you have hope, not just in the great by and by, not just in heaven, but you have hope today, regardless of what your todays are. In 
every one of our previous services, we've had people that have been refugees, people that have evacuated from Florida. I've had conversations, and I would imagine that there's some of you here that are passing through or staying here, and you're recognizing the difficulty and the pain and uncertainty of what's happening back to my property even now. I remember years ago when Danielle and I first started our ministry and we saw the meteorologist say that there's going to be a storm called Katrina that's going to make its way right toward Pascagoula. We were on the wrong side of the storm surge of Katrina. Five feet of water in our church, three and a half to four feet of water in our home that was three miles inland. In that moment, our possessions were gone. About 95% of our church members lost the majority of their, some of them came back to slabs. Some of them came back to rising water that had just uh, made their house uninhabitable. And so in the midst of those kinds of moments, it's oftentimes not when the waters rise that the stress and difficulty rise. It's when the waters recede and the weeks and the months later occur. For our family, Danielle in that moment was seven months pregnant with her first child. Everything was new to us. I was anxious. She was anxious. Some of you are pregnant with your first child and, and everything. Every, everything is new and you're nervous. And there's just this overwhelming sense of, is this supposed to be how it is? And so we were driving two weeks later after Katrina. And there was a young man who didn't stop at a stop sign and blindsided us. And the next thing I know, we are taking Danielle to a hospital there, Singing River Hospital. She's hooked up to these monitors. We're listening for the heartbeat of the baby. All of that's occurring. And in that moment, the emotional weight, the, the, really the spiritual weight, the physical weight of all that was occurring around it just overwhelmed me. I felt as if I was drowning in the sea of circumstances. And I needed somebody to tell me that in Christ, there is hope for this day. I didn't know this, but there was a pastor from Milton, Florida, and one of his deacons that drove that day to the associational building in Jackson County Baptist Association right there in Pascagoula. They said, who can we help? Who, who needs our church's help? And so the director of mission said, well, there's this young pastor that we have here. So the next thing I know, uh, hours later, there's this pastor from Milton, Florida I'd never met, and he was praying over us in the midst of tears. The Christ in him was reminding us that Christ in us is greater than the circumstances around us. We, need, we knew that intellectually, but we needed to know that at the very depth of our hearts and our souls. And he, uh, and the Christ in him was a tangible reflection of the ministry of the gospel to us and he said not only are we here today but we're going to come alongside of you we are going to help your church minister to this community I said it really often that the best thing that ever happened to East Long Baptist Church were that the doors of the church were ripped off the hinges by Katrina and the church had to go out into the community you see, Katrina gave us the ability to be a, a church that ministered to that community and told tangibly that if you trust in Christ, that regardless of your home situation, regardless of what you're going through, that Christ is greater than any storm that you would face. But we needed some help to be able to do that. 
We, we needed some churches that came alongside of us. They gave us resources and support and help to be able to tell a community that Christ in you is greater than the storms around you. We got to share with the community the hope of the gospel, but it was tangibly through the Aaron and hers, the, the churches from this area and other areas that help hold up our hands. We have an opportunity. We can't ignore it as we're sitting here in the comfort of this sanctuary. There are non-believers that in the midst of this storm, there will be an opportunity for the gospel to be shared, but there will be resources that need to be shared by our church to be able to meet that need. We can't ignore in the comfort and the coziness of our sanctuary that as people's lives are overwhelmed by the circumstances around us, that we here in Homewood, Alabama, uh, we need to come alongside of young pastors and older pastors and maybe a specific church. We've already done that in a church in Houston. We've already been able to allocate resources from the budget of 2017 to come alongside a South Belt Church there in Houston. But I think you agree with me that the opportunities for the gospel to be shared in the midst of this disaster is going to be a pathway to show communities in Florida and Louisiana and Texas that Christ in you is greater than the circumstances around you. And it very well may be that you thought to yourself, what can I do? I can't get into my car and I can't go down there. Even if I wanted to go down there, I couldn't do that right now. In circumstances like this, one of the first things that we can do to be able to mobilize resources, to be able to help local churches in those unique neighborhoods is to be able to give generously. Uh, there are other things to do. And certainly you've been praying but we can't skip the opportunity that we have to keep local feet who know the neighbors that are hurting, who do not know Jesus Christ, and those that are believers that do know Christ, have lost everything. It's in these moments that resources that we give out of the overflow of Christ in us and the abundance that we've been blessed with, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. So I want to encourage you. I know I don't have any right to do this. I know you don't know me and I hardly know you and here I am asking you to give generously but I do this because I know this is a generous congregation. And so I just want to give you the opportunity. If God has blessed you, maybe this Sunday you say, I, I want to give and you put in the memo disaster relief or maybe this week you give online and you put on the memo disaster relief and those funds will be able to be uh, given to a church that is able to be in the midst of a disaster that is able to say to its community, Christ in you is the only hope of glory. But most of us aren't from Texas today. Most of us aren't from Louisiana. Most of us aren't from Florida today. But maybe you need to be reminded that in Christ, there is hope for whatever you are facing today. Because this is what Paul is saying in the first chapter of the book of Colossians. He is saying, we want you to be girded and strengthened with the hope of the gospel regardless of what you face, whatever the circumstances. And there's some of you here that have not gone through a literal storm, but you know what it's like for the storm surge of a prodigal son to waylay the foundations of your house and the stability of your family. 
You know what it's like to weep at night. God, bring him home. You know what it's like to sit in the room in the consultation of a physician and she looks at you and says, uh, with, with great care, I'm sorry to deliver this news, but the diagnosis isn't good. And you know what it's like to feel the water rise around you. And you know what it's like to feel like you're drowning in the fear of your circumstances. You know what it's like to roll over in your bed and to reach out for that person that has shared that bed with you for 55 years and to feel the cool of the bed beside you and to feel as if the waters of grief have flooded your soul and you know what it's like to feel circumstances around you, overwhelming you. And I'm here to remind you But the Apostle Paul is reminding this church 2,000 years ago that is going to go through a disaster that's going to literally wipe them off the face of history. And I need to remind you that in Christ, there is hope for whatever storm you will, whatever storm you have, whatever storm you are facing today. Do you know that truth? It's not a truth. It's a person. Do you know the only source of hope? His name is Christ Jesus. Let us pray.